You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll get to those stories in just a moment, but we want to start tonight with a Canadian man from Vancouver in a Cambodian jail accused of sexually assaulting children. Investigators say 43-year-old Andrew David Ayer is suspected of assaulting children while posing as a doctor. Organizations who fight child abuse say Cambodia is a significant destination for sex offenders. Rumina Dea reports. Eight alleged victims, eight to 12 years old, according to the Child Protection Unit in Cambodia. The CPU says a 43-year-old Canadian suspect has been charged with numerous offenses, including aggravated rape of a child and indecent assault against a child, adding that search warrants were executed and evidence seized from the suspect's residence earlier this month. The CPU is reporting the alleged crimes initially occurred last month in Kandal province. When the suspect arrived in a village on a motorcycle, he allegedly told villagers he was a medical professional and was there to conduct health checks on children. According to the CPU, the suspect has been remanded into custody to face trial. The CPU says Task Force Echo 22 is being assisted by the RCMP in Canada and Thailand. The Canadian government slim on details. Global Affairs confirms it is aware of a Canadian detained in Cambodia. Consular officials are liaising with local authorities to gather more information, but due to privacy, no further information is being disclosed. Silence from RCMP headquarters in Ottawa. We are still waiting for a response to our questions on this extremely serious matter. Ramina Dea, Global News. A sentencing date has been set for the Dutch man convicted in the harassment and extortion of Amanda Todd. Aidan Coban will be back in court for a two-day sentencing hearing starting on September 20th. Last Saturday, he was found guilty of possession of child pornography, extortion, criminal harassment, and communicating with a young person to commit a sexual offense. Todd was 15 years old when she took her own life in 2012. The Crown has argued Coban was behind 22 separate online accounts used to sexually blackmail the teen. He is already serving an 11-year sentence in the Netherlands for sextorting dozens of girls and gay men. His lawyers say they may file an appeal of Saturday's ruling. Wildfire crews are on high alert tonight as thunderstorms threaten the southern half of the province. But the situation around Karameas has improved. Our Ahmad Agahi joins us with more on that. Ahmad, it has improved enough that Alala residents got some very good news today. News they've been eager to hear for more than a week now. Not only did Olala residents get to come home today, they came back to homes that are intact and homes that are safe. So close. Never expected to see that. After returning home from an evacuation order, it took only one look for Bob Barber and his wife Myrna to realize just how close fire had come to their home. Well, that was something to see. What came next was overwhelming relief. We are so lucky to come home. Feel very lucky, very happy day for us here today. Yay! You get to go home! On Thursday, an evacuation order was lifted for more than 200 properties in the community of Olala along Highway 3A. Welcome home! After the area was officially deemed safe from the Karameas Creek wildfire, 
Those living here wasted no time to rush back home. The wildfire, which burns at 6,700 hectares, has left plenty of scars on the hills here in Olala. And although evacuation orders and alerts continue to be lifted, work on strengthening the fire's containment lines continues. Controlled burns and plumes of smoke reminding people the fire fight is still active. And the threat of worsening conditions means people are returning home with the recommendations to have their bags still packed and nearby. The BC Wildfire Service continuing to track thunderstorms moving through the area. The winds are erratic, so they can come from any direction um, with downbursts from the, from the thunderstorms themselves, uh, which is a hazard to crews because we don't have the consistent um, winds and it, it can push fire in, in many different directions. Uh, the other uh, big concern for us is uh, new fire starts with the lightning. For those who can be home, there is a sense that the worst may be over. Oh, a stressful, horrible thing in my life so far. Just luckily nobody was hurt. While many others whose homes are still being protected by active crews will have to wait longer. The evacuation order for the community of Apex and for part of Green Mountain Road remains in place. At Apex Village, crews are starting to remove some of the equipment up there, the structural protection units. A few of them have been stood down. So I know work is being done to try to remove all of that equipment that's been in place to protect homes. And as that starts to happen, we'll have more information when it is available. So no timeline yet for those 273 properties that are still under evacuation order. Now, I want to leave you with this. Everyone who we've been speaking with in Olala over the last couple of days has been very thankful for the wildfire crews and their work to keep this fire away from their communities. That sign on the roof behind me says, you are heroes for the crews that have been flying over. And that sentiment is widely shared here. Mm, I'm sure the crews appreciate it. Thanks, Imad. All right, we have some breaking news now. Thunderstorms causing a flash flood in Merritt. Some streets turned into small rivers this afternoon. The city had issued a flash flood warning, asking drivers to stay well clear of flooded roads. And, of course, Merritt was badly damaged in the severe storms and flooding of just last November. And many regions still trying to recover from that. Yvonne Schell, our meteorologist, is in for Christy and has more on those thunderstorms and the very real risk that we just saw. Yvonne. Yeah, intense downpours. What we do is seeing these uh, clusters of uh, thunderstorms right across the region, and we are seeing it pushing in with uh, most areas near the Similkameen as well as the Thompson, all included within that, the Shushwap zone. What we're tracking is intense downpours, potential for nickel-sized hail. We're also looking at very gusty winds. Kamloops today even had a gust just over 80 kilometers per hour, and that's a big concern as it's fanning the flames for many regions across the area. We're also looking at a severe thunderstorm watch that is in effect. We can see that extending in towards the central and southern half of the province. We'll continue to watch that. We do have the potential uh, for thunderstorms once again for tomorrow. We'll have that timeline coming up very shortly. Chris? All right, we'll check in then. Thanks, Yvonne. Part of Highway 1 in B.C.'s Fraser Canyon is closed due to a mudslide. The mudslide has closed the highway between Lytton and Spence's Bridge in both directions from Highway 8 to 12. Drive BC says no detour is available right now, but a slope assessment is in progress. Witnesses say there was heavy rain in the area before the mudslide hit the highway. Initially, Drive BC reported flooding near Ashcroft, Spence's Bridge and Lytton after 8 o'clock last night. The next update is expected tomorrow morning at 10.
Vancouver Coastal Health is confirming an increase of people from the U.S. crossing the border to get the monkeypox vaccine here in B.C. The province is now implementing a policy change to stop that from happening due to a limited supply of the vaccine and to make sure there's enough available for those British Columbians who need the shot here. Richard Zussman has more. It was a sense of desperation due to a shortage of monkeypox vaccine in the United States. Seattle resident Justin Moore and friends driving to Vancouver for the shot. So it became apparent to me that like I was going to have to potentially seek out other places. But if anyone else wants to do what Moore did, it's clear now that other place is closed. I'd say to our friends in the United States, they now have, I think, access to the vaccine in Washington State in greater amounts. Uh, don't come here because it's for uh, people living here. Health authorities updating their policy and websites Thursday. Due to limited supply, this vaccine is intended for residents of Canada or those visiting B.C. for prolonged periods of time. It reads, people from outside Canada should not travel to VCH vaccine clinics for immunization. We cannot provide the vaccine to those visiting the province for the purpose of being vaccinated. We're not running out of vaccine, but we're using the vaccine we have prudently. Monkeypox has been declared a public health emergency in the U.S., the vaccine eligible mainly for men having sex with other men, the community where the virus has been most common. So far in B.C., 98 confirmed cases of the virus. In Washington state, the number climbs to 254. We have under 100 cases of mon monkeypox in B.C., which is below what you would expect for a jurisdiction our size. Even though Americans are no longer welcome to get their monkeypox vaccine in Canada, there will be no change in policy in terms of taking ID. The government wants this to be low barrier, like during Pride Week, to get as many people in the community vaccinated as possible. The B.C. Liberals think the government should make things much tighter. Um, we, we can't have our already stressed uh, health care system uh, now being taken fully you know, advantage of by Americans that are coming up here to get uh, our health care, at no cost, by the way. Monkeypox can be painful, but so far no one in B.C. has died from it. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Okay, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on monkeypox transmission in B.C. Keith, break it down for us by health region. Yeah, very interesting. The, the pattern continues to be the, by far the vast majority of monkeypox uh, infections are located in one area of the province, and that's Vancouver Coastal. So here's how it breaks down by health authority. Vancouver Coastal, again, with the lion's share of the cases, 81. Now, these are cumulative numbers. Uh, Fraser is next with just nine. Uh, Vancouver Island is up six. Interior has now seen its first cases ever. Two cases have been detected there. I caught up with Health Minister Adrian Dix about that. Basically, we're seeing not a big spread of the virus. So not big numbers being spread from week to or increasing from week to week. A big reason for that is people are getting vaccinated. Here's the minister. We have in uh, in Interior Health and in Northern Health two cases to date, which is uh, obviously serious for both those two people, and people will want to know that. But also it shows how limited uh, the spread of monkeypox has been in the interior of the province. So in terms of the number of people getting the vaccine, a few weeks ago it was about 4,700. As of a couple days ago, it's 11,629 people have received the monkeypox vaccine, and that number will continue to climb. No doubt. Okay, thank you, Keith.
Well, when it comes to COVID-19 in our province, the hospital numbers are trending downward. Here's a look at our weekly data. We have 385 people in hospital. That's down 25. 23 of those patients are in the ICU. That's down 15. 28 more people have died due to complications of the virus, and there have been 900 additional confirmed cases over the last week. B.C. residents facing urban decay. A new poll shows how people feel about the state of their inner city neighborhoods, no matter where they live and what they feel should be done about it. That's next on the News Hour. Everybody said you're crazy. A B.C. man takes on an epic high altitude challenge riding through the Himalayas. Why he's doing it later on the News Hour. And dramatic developments in the Donald Trump FBI saga. That's coming up as well. Right now, though, from mental illness to drug addiction and homelessness, the new polls suggest there are several reasons British Columbians feel urban centers are in decline. But as Paul Johnson reports, with municipal elections just months away, the findings could also be a catalyst for change. No one who saw this week's brawl in Vancouver's downtown east side likely came away with a good feeling about public safety trends there. Now a new poll suggests there's much broader concern about what's happening in the downtown cores of our major cities. We found that 45% of Canadians say that they've noticed a significant deterioration just in the past year alone. Steve Mossop says the poll by his company Leger found numbers that put many Canadians in the fed-up category, with 45% of people saying conditions have declined to some degree and only 10% seeing an improvement. And there's more. The sense of decline was strongest in B.C., and Canadians are currently more pessimistic about big city conditions than Americans. I think it will absolutely be a municipal election issue. And with that only a couple of months out, here's what some local candidates are saying they would do. Bill Thielman is running for city council with team for a livable Vancouver. What we think should be done is do an audit of all the different programs. We've got three levels of government, all spending massive amounts of money and not making the situation better. Rebecca Bly is running with the opposing party, ABC Vancouver. We need to adequately uh, fund our police. And just as importantly, we need to provide uh, wraparound services, mental health supports in a way that's accessible to people who need them. In New Westminster, Council candidate Daniel Fontaine is calling for the creation of a new mental health facility for the region. Something that's modern, something that's more reflective of today's values and something that's community-based, but something that is built quickly and will be able to hopefully relieve some of what we're seeing on the streets. Well, it's too early to tell if this fall will bring a pivotal election for big city law and order. The potential, it appears, is there. Paul Johnson, Global News. Up next, a patient running out of patience. It's just been completely dehumanizing and awful for her. Like, it's just been awful. Why this woman is recovering in a public gathering area instead of a real hospital room. And a UBC doctoral student finds a better use for all those discarded medical gloves later. Good evening. Crews are on scene to a truck that hit a pole in Burnaby, westbound on Broadway at Sperling. Westbound traffic is blocked, eastbound down to a single lane. 
When renewing your ICBC Auto Plan insurance online, select your nearest Susk insurance when prompted. For all online broker benefits, peace of mind, and best rates, select Sussex Insurance today. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, hype of a single vehicle crash in Burnaby. Well, back in March, we told you about a man being treated for a broken hip who was placed in a sunroom at Royal Jubilee Hospital. It has happened again, this time to a woman recovering from surgery. As Kylie Stanton reports, the patient's daughter says her mom had no access to a call button or a washroom. Okay, here we are in room 660 South. From behind the blinds, there's a bit of a view, but that's about it. She spends her entire day blasted by the sun, surrounded by windows. This is where Sharon Fraser has been recovering for the past two days after undergoing knee surgery at Royal Jubilee Hospital. Her family shocked by the setup. They put her in this room that, frankly, I find dehumanizing. Like, there's no bathroom, there's no proper light, there's no sink. And most importantly, there's no nurse call button. It's not the first time a patient has raised concerns. This is where they, they have my brother. In March, Jan Robinson spoke to Global News about her brother John Preston's experience. He spent several days in the sunroom recovering from a broken hip. This was the only way to call for help, something Alan says would be a step up for her mother. Apparently, they don't have those anymore. So they just said, it's okay, you can yell. Like, and she's called for 20 minutes, for 30 minutes, and there's nobody because the nurse is down the hall. While there is a code blue button, Alan says her mother wasn't even aware of it, and it's too far out of reach. That's the only alarming button in the room. Island Health did not respond to our request for comment by deadline but the health minister weighed in. I'd expect the doctors and nurses are doing everything they can to support the patient. And part of the reason you create that space uh, to do that is to ensure people can get access to care. But the official opposition leader is calling the situation unacceptable. We need change. And if we don't, we're going to have a lot more stories like this that frankly are failing patients. Alan says she understands the pressure the system is under. And all things considered, her mother has received good care. But she has filed a formal complaint with the Patient Care Quality Office, hoping it will finally spark some change. I think that they're not meeting a minimum duty of care for patients if they don't have a call bell. And for people that would say, at least your mom has a room, at least she's not in the hallway, where are our standards? Nobody should feel how my mom has felt for the last two days. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Well, it looks like British Columbians are over the pandemic pet craze. The BCSPCA is seeing its first slowdown in adoptions since the beginning of the pandemic. Previously, if a puppy became available, there could be up to 100 applications within 24 hours. But demand has cooled. And right now, there are more than 1,500 animals looking for forever homes that includes more than twice the number of rabbits normally seen. So it's not just cats and dogs available right now. So we have rabbits and guinea pigs and hamsters and birds and horses and farm animals. So whatever anyone is looking for, I'm sure they can find it at the SPCA. And while adoptions are slowing down, the BCSPCA says it's not seeing as many animals being surrendered as there have been in other parts of the country. Coming up, another dramatic day in U.S. politics. I will not stand by silently. How U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland defended the search of Donald Trump's Florida estate. 
and the rare white orca spotted off the coast of BC. Coming up. From the stories we need to know to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Good evening. Emergency crews are still arriving on scene to this crash in Surrey. Southbound on King George Boulevard at 84th Avenue. The left and left turn lanes are blocked and traffic is backed up north of 88th Avenue on the approach. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash in Surrey. A warning about our next story involving a horrific attack caught on surveillance video in Brampton, Ontario. Some of the images, while they are blurred, may still be disturbing. A Punjabi media personality viciously attacked in his own driveway by three men with hatchets and machetes. Tonight, those responsible are still at large. Our Sean O'Shea has the latest on the attack and reaction from the community. The video is difficult to watch. The man in the Jeep on his driveway in Brampton, Ontario, approached by three masked men armed with an axe and machete. They drag him out and beat him repeatedly. The brutal attack captured on a home security camera. When I saw the video, it was so shocking for me. Neighbours watched it later online. We've blurred the graphic images, but the man's mother saw it all unfold. So they came, she's saying they were here to kill him. Uh, and uh, he grabbed one of the weapons, but uh, they overpowered him, obviously, with uh, uh, three of them. And then uh, one of them grabbed the legs and continued to hack away at his foot. She ran to her son to help and may have saved his life. And, and boy, was his mother uh, um, a hero. What courage she showed. She ran out. It was a, a pure uh, reaction on her part, and it certainly helped contribute to him still being here today. Jody Singh Man is well known here, a local real estate agent and prominent Punjabi media personality. Police confirmed he'd received a death threat on the phone days earlier. A safety plan was put in place with the victim at the time uh, that the death threat was reported to us. But Man didn't receive police protection in time. The mayor says Man's family has asked for help again after the attack. When the attack happened, I got a call from the family who uh, wanted protection from the police. Police are still investigating motive, but this is the third physical attack in the last year on people who work in the media in Brampton. Question how safe our media personalities are uh, in giving the news and, you know, giving commentary as well. For now, police are left trying to assure the community it was a targeted attack. Police say additional video may solve this case, and so they've appealed to neighbours to check their dash cams. For now, Jody Singh Mann remains in hospital with serious and life-changing injuries. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Brampton, Ontario. A woman is recovering after police say she was shot on the downtown east side. The third shooting in Vancouver since Sunday. The VPD says the 39-year-old woman was found suffering from gunshot wounds just after one this morning at Maine and Cordova. She was taken to hospital with serious injuries. Just two days ago on Tuesday, a 38-year-old man was shot outside his home near Commercial Drive in Gravely Street. He suffered non-life-threatening injuries. And on Sunday, a 34-year-old man was shot inside a social housing building near West Pender and Richards. The victim fled to the downtown east side where he was found with non-life-threatening injuries. In the days since the search at the Florida home of former President Donald Trump, the U.S. Department of Justice and the FBI 
have been pressured by Republicans to explain just why that search was carried out. Today, the U.S. Attorney General did just that, defending his department and his decision. Global's Reggie Cicchini has more. After days of speculation, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland cleared the air, saying that it was he who signed off on the search of the former president's Florida estate. Following a year-long battle, lives and a number of boxes filled with potentially classified documents. Garland noting the Department of Justice was silent because the search had been publicized by Donald Trump, but said the decision was something DOJ did not take lightly. The search was unprecedented, and it led to almost immediate attacks on the FBI and DOJ by Republicans and supporters of Trump, who believed this to be a politically motivated and unlawful stunt, which the AG pushed back on. Upholding the rule of law means applying the law evenly, without fear. I will not stand by silently when their integrity is unfairly attacked. Reporting now suggests that after having brought boxes to Mar-a-Lago in 2021, Trump cooperated in sending many back. But in early June, investigators arrived and asked to see what remained. Days later, the former president was told to secure parts of the residence. And later that month, surveillance footage was reportedly subpoenaed after someone told investigators more documents remained, resulting in that search on Monday. Trump's counsel was on site for the search, according to the Justice Department, and that gets in the way of unfounded comments from some Republicans and Trump that evidence might have been planted. Now, as for what was sought, we could soon find out. The Justice Department has filed a motion in the Southern District of Florida to unseal a search warrant and property receipt relating to a court-approved search. Donald Trump's counsel has until Friday to oppose this motion, and even if the contents are unsealed, likely to be heavily redacted given the sensitive nature, and that leaves the door open for the likelihood of more speculation about what Trump may have been trying to hold on to. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. Some of the thousands of surgical gloves that have been piling up during the pandemic are finding new life as, among other things, patio furniture. And that's thanks in part to a project at UBC. Doctoral student Melanie Salazade is set to recycle nearly 50,000 gloves this year, diverting more than 146 kilograms of waste from landfills. The single-use items are being collected from various departments at the university and will be shipped to recyclers in Burnaby and the U.S. They basically melt down the plastics and form other plastic materials such as uh, construction pallets or even like patio furniture that you can go out and buy in Home Depot or Lowe's. Um, so they come back in a different form and a different life so we can make our, our gloves a little bit more sustainable. Any gloves that might be contaminated won't be part of the recycling program but will instead be disposed of separately. An incredible feat in Vancouver today as a 79-year-old man crossed the finish line to end a more than 1,000-kilometer journey from Calgary. Gary Averbach wrapped up the final two kilometers of his walk at Jack Pool Plaza today. He made the trek over almost seven weeks, raising more than $500,000 for the BC Cancer Foundation along the way. He walked an average of 27 kilometers a day in memory of his cousin and friend, Robert Golden, who passed away last year. I talked about it to people, but uh, they all thought I was crazy. But then on uh, his deathbed, uh, Bob uh, grabbed, he, took, he was going to have the needle the next day, and he took me and he said, I want you to raise money uh, for this cancer. It's a terrible thing. And 
his whole family was there, so what do you do when somebody on their deathbed makes you promise something? So that's how it started. Averbach, who turns 80 in October, says his main challenge was the weather, but he feels better and healthier now than when he started. And you can still donate by heading to donate.bccancerfoundation.com. For him, now he can rest for a day or two. Uh, or longer. Mm-hmm. Still ahead, high hopes for an inexperienced cyclist. A spur-of-the-moment kind of idea. Why he's training to take on the Himalayas and how you can help push him to the top later. And coming up in sports, a dramatic win for the Little League team from Vancouver. Now one step closer to going to the World Series. Normally around this time of year, Okanagan producers would be selling and we'd be eating their peach harvest. However, with the colder weather we saw in the spring, producers have lost the majority, if not all, of their crops. Global's Jasmine King has more. The trees grew, but no fruit um, grew on the trees this year. When Hoffman Orchards went to check on the progress of their peaches in early spring, they noticed there wasn't any buds on the trees. A cold snap during the last week of December froze their crop. In the 20 plus years that we've grown peaches here at Hoffman Orchards, we've never had a year where we've had absolutely no peaches. There have been lighter years where we haven't had a robust crop, but this is the first year in our history we literally have, I think, on hundreds of trees, four peaches. Due to the success they've had over the past two decades, the orchard didn't think it was necessary to buy crop insurance. The owners are heartbroken to let down their regular clients. It was so sad. I mean, we love, our family runs this orchard and we sell our fruit roadside in part because we love it and we love our customers. And it's really quite devastating. I mean, financially, obviously, it's really devastating. But also just to see so many people disappointed. At Crosby Organics, they have eight varieties of peaches on around 900 trees. This year, they lost nearly 90% of their crop to the cold. They could only salvage around 100 trees of one variety that tends to ripen later in the summer. They weren't affected for, for whatever reason, so it's either the, just the timing of the blossoms, um, they weren't hit during that little period. So it's, I think it's just a few degrees that we kind of were affected so drastically. With the loss of thousands of pounds worth of peaches, Crosby has been trying to make it up in other ways and is hoping their other fruits will do the trick. It's our main source of income, actually. So we still have apples coming, still have plums coming, so that'll be okay. But, yeah, in terms of this year, it'll just be a little tougher of a year. Both farms are hoping for more success next season, but say it's something that is completely out of their control. Jasmine Kane, Global News, Kelowna. No nectarines out there either. That's that's my favorite summer fruit. Me too. I'm with you. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Schell with some pretty dramatic weather today, Yvonne. Yeah, earlier in the show we had some footage of some flash floods in Merritt, so a heads up through that region. But we're also seeing uh, several lightning strikes in this cluster of storms that's going through the region, the Thompson included within that. Here's a quick video of uh, what we saw earlier today, and this one was captured by Sue Mark, or recently rather, and the other one by Paulo Jurado, just showing us the lightning strikes across the region. 
Uh, please stay indoors, and we are going to continue to track this. So this is the weather story that we're following this evening with intense downpours, which has caused flash flooding across the region. We do have the severe thunderstorm warning that remains in effect. The shoe swamp included within that, with that storm just tracking its way towards the north, and all areas in yellow extending into the southeastern corners of the province with the severe thunderstorm watch. So a heads up, intense downpours, lightning across the region, the potential to see hail, nickel size, and very gusty winds as well. Here's a quick update from the fire danger from the BC Wildfire Service. Rather, we're tracking 87 active fires. Kamloops in the southeast up to 20 in areas near the coast with 17 in Prince George closer to 15. So please be very diligent where we're still sitting at anywhere between high to extreme for the southeastern corners. A few areas we can spot that in red through that region. Now here's the timeline of what we're anticipating once again overnight leading in towards the day. It'll be the afternoon and early evening. It sets up once again with that instability and the risk of thunderstorms for much to the central and southern half of the province to dissipate and we'll get into a bit of a break for the active weather leading in towards the weekend but temperatures are going to soar once again. The northeastern corner also seeing that instability inland tomorrow with terrace getting up to 29 degrees much of the southern half with hot conditions temperatures still into the low 30s that instability picks up for the afternoon and evening and along the south coast we may see some fog patches for metro Vancouver early morning hours they'll dissipate we've got a blip in the forecast on Saturday could see the chance for some showers and and rebounds once again in our Sunday. Tonight's weather window, a great shot. I couldn't help it. This one, a sleepy bear in Coquitlam, and it was captured by Britt. Guys? Must have eaten a lot of berries <laughs> having a nap. Thanks very much, Yvonne. A rare sight off the waters of North Vancouver Island on Wednesday. An orca and her calf were spotted near Telegraph Cove. That's not unusual, but what is unusual is the white color of the calf. She's now been identified as Frosty. It's the first time she's been documented in B.C. waters. They normally spend most of their time off the coast of California and Mexico. Mike Dobbs was one of the first people to see it and said there was concern at first, but excitement once they realized the whales weren't in any danger. This is the most incredible animal encounter I've ever seen in the wild. I've, I've 20 years in, in working on the ocean, I've seen plenty of orcas, plenty of humpback whales and other uh, marine mammals and never even dreamt that, that a white, white orca existed before yesterday. We didn't even know it was an orca for a long time. There was a lot of amateur biologists speculating all kinds of things here, um, but we, it took a while for us to even understand that it was an orca whale. It's still unclear what makes Frosty white, but it could be caused by a rare immune disorder called Chediac Higashi syndrome. About one in a thousand orcas are born white. Fascinating mm. to see her around here. Mm -hmm. All right, let's bring in Barry DeLay in for Squire tonight. Hello, Barry. Hello, guys. Bit of a whale of a story there. But I yeah. deal in truths. <laughs> I, sometimes. <laughs> uh, North fans Connor Bedard makes regular appearances on this show because he's really good at scoring pretty goals. Across, what a pass to McTavish. Back for Bedard. In tight <laughs> Bedard was at it again today for Canada at the World Juniors in Edmonton. Also tonight, a B.C. man on an uphill battle to help Himalayan children.
Barry DeLay joins us now in for Squire with more on the human hockey highlight reel. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's nice to have a phenom in your own backyard, right? that's for sure. Thanks, guys. Uh, North Vancouver's Connor Bedard will have even more attention heaped upon him as we get closer to next summer's NHL entry draft, where he will in all likelihood be the number one overall pick. The 17-year-old is giving absolutely no reason for anyone to doubt that will happen. He was at it again tonight for Canada at the World Juniors in Edmonton, and he has had instant chemistry with Mason McTavish, who played nine games with the Anaheim Ducks last year. Beautiful give-and-go here with Bedard with the fantastic finish. His sixth World Junior goal in just his fourth game with Canada, and he doesn't seem to score any ugly ones. one nothing Canada over Slovakia. Canada just dominated this game. Will Cooley with the steal tees it up for Brennan Othman. He rips the one-timer home. 4-0 Canada after one. Second period on a two-man power play. Kent Johnson of Port Moody sets up. Logan Stankoven of Kamloops. BC boys combining to make it 5-0. Late second, Bedard with the steal on the back check. Springs Joshua Waugh, who feeds McTavish for his hat trick goal. McTavish ended up with four. Canada rolls 11-1. They play the checks next on Saturday. Canadian sure Open tennis from Toronto. Hometown girl Bianca Andrescu taking on 19-year-old Kinwen Zhang in the third round. Zhang took the first set. Bianca tumbled to the court there but recovered to hit the winner. And she has forced a third set. They're early in the third set now as we speak. Meanwhile, in Montreal, Felix Auger-Aliassime's hometown. Felix taking on Cameron Norrie of Great Britain in the third round. On serve in the first when Felix gets aggressive into the net. Three fantastic volleys, and he will get the break of serve. And he took the opening set 6-3. Felix then just rolled after that. Serves it out with his 15th ace. Nori won six points total in the match in 10 Felix service games. Felix will now play Norway's Casper Rude in the quarterfinals tomorrow. First tournament of the FedEx Cup playoffs. St. Jude uh, Championship from Memphis. Six Canadians in the field, including Corey Connors, who will make the eagle putt from off the green. A three under 67 for Connors. That's good enough just for tied 30th. A lot of low scores today. Surrey's Adam Svensson probably needs a top 10 this week to advance to next week. This will help. Big flop shot on the par 5 and it's an eagle. 4 under 66 for Svensson. 4 off the lead. Adam Hadwin shot 1 under. A tough day for Nick Taylor. He was 4 over par. Surrey wrestler Amar Desi feels he's just starting to find his form. He won a gold at the Commonwealth Games in England last week and now he has got his sights set on the World Championships a month from now. Uh, grade 9 BC Championship. Even when I went to the Olympics or anything, like, what's your favorite achievement? I always said this one. Amar Desi's family home in Surrey is full of trophies, banners, plaques, and awards shaped as swords. It will now house a shiny new gold medal from the Commonwealth Games. For us and my family back here, and, uh, and just our ties to India, so it means a lot to get this medal, but uh, for them it means a lot more. He won't take credit for all of the hardware in the house. His father and brother have contributed to the collection as well. And Amr's humble demeanor almost made him miss out on receiving his 2016 Male Athlete of the Year award after his sophomore season at Oregon State University. They told me to show up when I wasn't going to show up because I didn't think I was going to win because there were so many other great athletes at the time. They forced me to show up. I did. But then uh, we were sitting around with all my buddies, very professional banquet, and uh, they, like, they called my name out. And I was like, oh, 
oh, it was sweet. And then all my buddies went wild and everyone started cheering. And Six years later, he's still getting used to the cheering. More than 7,000 kilometers from his home in Surrey, the wrestling fans in Birmingham, England, packed Coventry Arena for his gold medal match. Walking out there was super fun. You know, all I heard was, death, see, death, see, death, see. And it was, it's crazy because I didn't know anybody in the stands. I had, I had no friends, family were there. I just the support from people I don't even know. Now in his prime as a wrestler, Amr's vision as an athlete has become clearer. I really just learned why I do what I do and why I want to excel at what I want to excel at, which was just I want to be the best wrestler I can be at and just achieve excellence in my craft. Amr won't have a minute to rest after winning his gold medal. He's quickly turning his attention to the Wrestling World Championship in Belgrade, Serbia next month. Still relaxed. I'm glad I got this Commonwealth Games under my belt. And going into the World Championships, I'm the same thought process. Go out there, have fun. Try to wrestle as hard as I can. And uh, hopefully good things happen. That is a big boy. Uh, Vancouver's Little Mountain has been an unstoppable force at the Canadian Little League Championships in Calgary this week, going 6-0 in round-robin play, outscoring the opposition 89-17. But in today's semifinal, they played the host from Calgary, the one team that did challenge them this week. And the BC champs faced some adversity. They were down 2-0 early, but Jackson Marovich with the base hit to left. That will score a run to tie it at two. Marovich ended up uh, going uh, out in a rundown, but still, Little Mountain back on even terms, and it stayed that way until the sixth. They have a runner on third. Ellis St. James with the grounder. Calgary trying to get the run at the plate, but not in time, and Little Mountain goes ahead 3-2. Bottom of the sixth, Calgary two in scoring position, but what a play by Graydon Yan. Guns down the runner at home plate. And Little Mountain with a big sigh of relief. They win 3-2. They will meet Moose Jaw in the championship game tomorrow morning. BC teams have won 14 of the last 15 Canadian championships. So it's there for them. And I think they always, it's always one close one. Mm-hmm. They got rid of the, the scare today, so they, they should mm-hmm. take care of business tomorrow. So proud of those kids because mm-hmm. that's the league Will plays in. And he, he played with a lot of those kids. So I know a lot of them, and it's really exciting yeah. to mm-hmm. see them do so well. Thanks very much, mm-hmm. Barry. Up next, BC men training for a big bike ride. Even he admits might be an overreach. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways. BC owned and operated for 75 years. The news doesn't end when the news hour goes off the air. So Jordan Armstrong is here with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan? We go all night on BC One, of course, Chris. Another emergency room closure to tell you about tonight. And this one will last more than a week. The ER in Clearwater will be closed for the next eight nights from 6 p.m. until 7 a.m. Because of a staffing shortage, patients are told to call 911 or go to other hospitals, such as Kamloops. But that's a 125-kilometer drive away. Plus, it's being called a Rescue Mission of Love as 11 Golden Retrievers arrive at YBR tonight. We'll tell you why it was a race against time to get the dogs here at 11. Chris? All right. Thanks very much, Jordan. A North Vancouver man is preparing for an epic bike ride through the Himalayan mountains, all in support of his charity that raises money for struggling Nepalese children. In This Is BC, Jay Durant caught up with the adventurer who admits he's, yeah, just a little crazy to take on this challenge. Training rides up to Cypress Mountain don't come close to what Daniel Berge is about to experience. It's the same reaction every time he tells people about his plan. Crazy. Everybody said, you're crazy. Uh, But I already knew that. (laughs) 
Bergie and four other riders will spend a week biking through the Himalayas in northern India, reaching altitudes of over 18,000 feet. Two of the highest rideable passes in the world. I say rideable, they're not really rideable, but we just try. On a previous trip, he rented a cheap bike to test out part of the routes, but he only went out for a couple of hours, not six full days in a row. Well, the biggest challenge is that I'm not really a cyclist. <laughs> I hardly know what I'm doing. Before moving to North Vancouver, Bergy lived in Nepal and saw the struggles of local children, many orphaned, living on the streets. These are kids who really need a level of protection. He started his charity Himalayan Life to provide support through education. They built a school and launched programs helping hundreds of children realize their potential. They would say, we were nobody. Now we are somebody. They found their place in the community. That's just awesome. I'm looking forward to connecting along the way with so many families whose kids are actually going to our school. It's a burn going up the local mountains. Just imagine what it's like in the Himalayas. You're just not able to get enough air into your lungs. That's, that's just the way it is. Piece of cake. Piece of cake. <laughs> Bergie and his team are ready for an incredible challenge and may even try to think of ways to top it in the future. Maybe we'll do it again. Maybe we'll make it uh, an annual event. Let's see how that one goes first. Jay Durant, Global News. <laughs> Why not, right? Make it, make it an annual event. Listen, if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Good luck. He's, he's going to make it on his enthusiasm alone. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Unstoppable. No kidding. All right, Yvonne, um, lots of uh, crazy weather going on around the province today. Yeah, we're still tracking thunderstorms this evening, especially for the central and southern interior. Metro Vancouver, though, we do have a bit of a blip in the forecast. It'll be for tomorrow night leading in towards our Saturday. We could see a few isolated showers. It's still going to be on the warm side, though, with the humidex away from the water into the low 30s. And we're tracking that sunshine for the latter half of the weekend and continuing into early next week so far. All right, thanks very much, Yvonne. Good luck to those LMB boys in the Little League, Canadian Little League Championship tomorrow. Maybe we'll have highlights in too, Barry. We will. 10 a.m. start our time. All right, thanks very much. Thanks for watching, everyone. Good night. Good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.